0: This is Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. On Dubai Eye
1: 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on the Farmer's Kitchen podcast brought to you by Spinneys. Turning our attentions to food, events... And wellness in this show. We were in conversation with Chef Wayne Tapsfield. He is a long-time friend, colleague and collaborator of Chef Gary Rhodes' OBE. And he was sharing what he's been through in terms of his career, some of his favourite celebratory food and what he looks for in young talent. He is a judge who has found and mentored some incredible chefs over the years. We were also addressing New Year's Eve. What do you need to know when it comes to traffic updates, the celebrations and celebrating responsibly? Noni Edwards had the latest from the ARN News Centre. And in conversation with one of the founders of a brand new cafe, Two Gather has opened. With the emphasis firmly on people of determination, they aim to have 6% of their staff with hearing impairments. She's explaining the logistical side to that and what we can look forward to from next year. And in conversation with two young sisters who struggled with their own mental health and have turned that into something positive. They are the founders of a brand new space here in Dubai where you can go along and experience all sorts of different classes, talks, and experts, all aimed at getting you into the right headspace for the year ahead. Finding out more about what's on offer at PAUSE. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Meeting the chef this hour, and it is chef Wayne Tapsfield. He came up from the UK winning numerous competitions as a youth, collaborating with chef Gary Rhodes OBE on a number of projects, restaurants, cruises, collaborations galore. And we're very lucky to have him here in Dubai. Um, and, well, he's here on a bit, of a, a bit of a talent hunting mission because he's currently the chairman of judges for Dubai's first ever Chef Bosania competition, which challenges local emerging chefs to showcase their skills. And that's in preparation, knife skills as well. And flying the flag for the world's finest food. Chef, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on. You're very welcome. Now, here's my question to you. If you were going to win 500 dirhams to spend in spinneys, what would a chef buy?
2: Well, if it was for New Year's Eve, I think I would love to do my family a lovely salmon coolie which mm-hmm. is uh, one of my favourite dishes from a long time ago, um, using a lovely Scottish salmon fillet wrapped in puff pastry, butter puff pastry, with chopped mushroom and onion, lots of tarragon and parsley, and then wrapped and then baked slowly in the oven, sliced and then served with rice and hard boiled, uh, sieved hard boiled egg, oh. and it's an absolute delight to eat. And you can just get a spoon and just hack into it and ah. eat away.
1: This is when it's good to have a chef in the family. I tell you what, my my brother-in-law is a very very talented chef and. Uh, boxing day a few years ago, he brought eels up in a a big polystyrene box. So he did eel, he did pheasant pie and suet, and then he did a sticky toffee pudding. It was like a Victorian feast. And I was like, I've married into a good family here having a top chef. So I'm sure you're very popular around this time. Um, Wayne, let's go back in time, if you don't mind. Tell us a little bit about growing up. Who was cooking in the family and, and what were they making in the family home?
2: Um, we were very basic, to be honest. Um, I came from a, a large sort of area, estate area, just outside um, West London. Um, so it was a very humble background. My, my father was working, on, you know, on the building sites. My mum was a housewife, and it was just good, honest cooking um, that everybody was sort of akin to, uh, you know, angel delights and uh, yes. and stuff for Christmas um, and Christmas puddings. But yes, yeah, um, so no, nobody sort of really. the threshold um i think my interest really in food began um when we were very luckily taken away to a holiday abroad and i suddenly saw the exciting markets and um the the images and and tastes that i've never ever experienced or seen before and i think Mm -hmm. it just captures something within me and i knew that my destiny it was with food.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because there is a certain generation thing, cultural thing. Sometimes it's a class thing as well about food just being fuel and function. And then for so many chefs and, and even just, you know, food lovers, there is this light bulb moment of actually food is this opportunity for celebration and communication and just the sheer the sheer love of the alchemy of things coming together and that it sounds like that happened for you really early on how did you then decide as a teen that to make this your reality in your career
2: well I mean I was as I say I was lucky enough to be taken on the first holiday I was was 13 and I remember and immediately I just thought that's what I want to do and I didn't change my mind I was adamant in my mind that I was going to leave school and, and get into the kitchens and um it was a time of uh, recession in the, in the United Kingdom at the time, um, and I was lucky enough to get work experience at a hotel that was close by. Um, and I just worked hard, and um, they offered me a job at the end of it. And so I was very lucky to get in at an early early age of 16, and I was working alongside a, a full brigade and, and trying to carve my teeth,
0: if you like. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8.
1: It is time for Chef's Table and what a chef we have for you this hour. Chef Wayne Tapsfield is currently the chairman of judges for Dubai's first ever and I hope I'm saying this right. Chef Boissonnier competition. It challenges local chefs here to fly the flag for the world's finest Scottish seafood, great British cuisine, as well. Show off some knife skills, and maybe we can uncover some new talent as well. Chef, you um, took part in some competitions, and they gave your career a bit of a, a bit of a, an early start in those first few years. And you've gone on to judge across some amazing platforms. Why do you think competitions are important for developing young chef talent?
2: Um, I think it gives um young young chefs uh, you know, a chance to really establish themselves and their confidence as well. I think it, you know, for, for, for the guys that are and the girls that actually want to go out and do competitions, um, it, it gives you a sense of confidence in yourself and what you believe in and enables you to showcase what your beliefs are as well. Um, you know, so from that side of things, I think it was great. Um environment to do that and not only that it gives you a good platform as well to meet a lot of other people within Mm -hmm. the the sector um i think kitchens can sometimes be too too enclosed and you're in sort of this little box so it enables you a great opportunity to meet other people and like-minded and And again, showcase your your ideas.
1: See how you stack up compared to your contemporaries. It's always interesting to give you a a kick up the backside or a bit of an ego boost, I'm sure. Um, Tell us about the Chef Bosnia of the Year competition. It's giving you the chance to continue um, Chef Guy Rhodes' legacy. Where did the competition start, Wayne?
2: Um, So basically, it's an idea that came about with, with obviously, you know, guys that are really focusing on fish, really on the, on the skill set that's, that's it, within fish. And, and the term poissonnier is an old term from Savoy days with uh, George Augustus Escoffier, um, who created the, the sort of kitchen systems that we all work with today within the foundations of the industry. Um, and basically, the, the, the fish chef or the poissonnier was in charge of a big section, solely looking after every fish dish there was from the very classics to the very simple. And I think a lot of the skills have, have, have slowly been sort of either lost or dwindled down um, with, with pre-packed stuff that you can buy in or pre-filleted. So it was an idea just to really showcase those skills that, that are there and, and give the opportunities for some of the younger guys that are working on that section um, to really, like I say, showcase their skills and showcase what they can do with fish, which is such a fantastic ingredient to work with.
1: I think for many, myself included, it's also quite an intimidating ingredient to work with. When we think about, you know, chefs with their fine tweezers in their, in their white pocket, they're, you know, deboning and adding touches and things. Um, and I'm curious what the competition's going to involve. What format will it take, Chef?
2: Well, first of all, they've had to answer um, some, some questions uh, and then obviously put together a recipe of their idea just to give us an insight into their imagination and creativity. After that, they're going to be asked to compose um, a recipe a starter and a main course from different areas of the world so we wanted to showcase different regions of the world so whether it comes from the middle east from asia from europe or from the americas um, and they can then choose that area and then so another, in other words it gives us an understanding of, of that area and, and and their understanding of what they believe is in that area um, with the fish that's available so yeah, it's, as I say, it gives them an opportunity to really let themselves go.
1: So, can I ask, what's the prize, <laughs> just, and who is who is it available to uh, to enter?
2: Well, the prize is going to be an all expenses paid trip to Scotland oh, to amazing. see um, what, which I think was very strong in my mind was um, to showcase the for from actually catching the fish to trawling the fish, to taking it to the market. So seeing that whole process all the way through to finally finishing the restaurant and eating a beautiful Scottish seafood dish uh, within an environment.
1: Now, you have mentored, trained some incredible chefs, you know, the likes of Nathan Outlaw, many that have gone on to be awarded Michelin stars. What do you look for in a young chef or even someone who's looking to make a switch to a, a, you know a, working in a kitchen later in life? Is it a particular set of skills? Is it an attitude? Is it a glint in the eye, Wayne? Um,
2: yeah, I think, it is, I think it's like you say, it's, it, it, there's a certain attitude. I mean, it, it can be a very selfish industry, if I'm honest, because obviously it takes a lot of your time, mm-hmm. a lot of sacrifices. Um, but you've got to love it. You've got to love what you do and love the ingredients you work with. And I think if you show that love within your ingredients, it shows it on the plate of your finished dish. And it's respect as well. It's respect for the ingredients, it's respect for how it's got there. Um, And then that obviously showcases in the final product that you're actually producing.
1: We're delighted to be joined this afternoon by Chef Wayne Tapsfield. He's a preview exec head chef business partner to Gary Rhodes OBE and been in Dubai for a number of years. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Time for Chef's Table now and delighted to be in conversation with Chef Wayne Tapsfield. He worked with Chef Gary Rhodes OBE um, throughout his career from starting out and doing cruises, London concepts, coming here to Dubai of course, Theatre by Rhodes and the their home at the Royal Meridian Dubai and of course Grosvenor House too. He's here as a consultant, chairman of judges of the UA's first ever Chef Poissonnet of the Year competition and finding out a little bit more about his life in food and uh, taking your questions too. So if you do have any queries when it comes to cooking, uh, of course, great seafood from Scotland, great British cuisine as well, this is your chance. Um, Chef, you've been a real champion of British food over the years and I'm curious what kind of misconceptions you've heard about it uh, since starting out.
2: Well, obviously, I think um, we had, uh, Britain had a reputation or English food had a reputation for being quite heavy and stodgy at some stages. And, and it was true in some respects. And I think that, you know, obviously the first person that really made me look at British food in a different way was obviously Gary Rhodes um, and his great touch. Um, and it was a lightness uh, within what we were doing and the food that he was creating really inspired me to sort of look at things in a different way. Um, because obviously most of our training was sort of French based um, in that sort of age. And and sort of it was Gary really that made everybody look at British cuisine in a completely different way, um, And certainly with me. Um, and and I think the philosophy as well was very strong with Gary um, and it carried on with my thoughts as well, um, is to make things simple and, and keep no more than three or four ingredients to every dish that you're creating and allow the ingredients to speak for themselves, if you like. And, and that's one of the great things that Britain, um, Great Britain provides is some of the finest ingredients that we can mm-hmm. and obviously seafood from Scotland being one of those.
1: It takes a real confidence to be able to do that, though, and confidence in yourself and a confidence in the ingredients um, to be able to celebrate them and, and let them sing. And I, whenever I've spoken to chefs in the past, a lot of them said, you know, I started out and I was throwing all the flavours at the wall and trying all the techniques trying to show off. Do you feel like you've evolved then as a chef um, over that time in a similar, similar fashion?
2: Oh, absolutely. I, I, I honestly believe most chefs are guilty of it. If they're honest, that that you you do get swayed with what you're doing and not what the you know ideally you're you're cooking for the customer and that's really what the you know you should be focusing on and nothing more than Mm -hmm. and I do think that most chefs if they're honest enough will admit that they have got suede or or cook for themselves really at other stages when they really should be focusing on what the customer wants and and that's the one thing that I've learned over the years is that you must cook for what the customer wants at that time and and be flexible and open-minded in your approach.
1: Can we talk about chef Gary Rhodes when did you first meet and and how did that relationship develop over the decades Wayne
2: Um well, I was I was working in London at the time um at the Mirabelle restaurant um in Mayfair and I was ready to take that next step up into a management sous chef or second chef role um which would have been my first role um and uh, Gary heard about uh, myself and and called me and said that he was looking and would I consider and I went up for a cup of coffee with him we sat and we chatted what was meant to be 20 minutes lasted almost two hours (laughs) um and then i sort of came for a day's work experience and and fell in love with it and and we we worked together and and grew together and yeah everything evolved from that really as such and you know um every sort of time there was something i got to a stage in my career there was something else that was happening or developing with gary and he was my best friend and um, he was my business partner and, and great ally. And, and I think, as I say, I'm, I've been very lucky within the industry to have found and worked with somebody that we, we enjoyed each other's company so much.
1: Mm-hmm. You must miss him an awful lot. And I know around Dubai, his, you know, his, his influence is everywhere. You know, it really is in terms of his legacy. How do you think that legacy is going to live, live on in the world of food?
2: Oh, I think Gary will always be synonymous with British food and what he's done for it, and and I think that uh, you know that people will always pay homage to it, and 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 again, you know, Gary's always, you know, we've always encouraged young talent to come through. That's the one thing that both of us felt very strongly and passionately about was always helping other guys and, and girls to actually get on the career teach them the basics properly and then after that they can then take that toolbox if you like and then take that to any other establishment and know that they've got the confidence to be able to perform and pull off the the recipes that they need to. Um, So that's one good thing that I feel that we've encouraged to do is young people to go out and be their own people.
1: Can I ask you, Chef, when you were starting out what did success look like to you? When did you think you would know that you've made it, and and how has that changed as you've as you've developed?
2: Um, I think your your goal was always to become a head chef in somewhere in in that era. Um, today's goal, I think, is is media has has made a, a big big important role, and and it's opened the doors for so many. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I think it's done the the hospitality and the catering world, the world of good, um, in terms of highlighting what the conditions were like at mm-hmm. those days, and and making it a, a far far. Um, pleasant environment to work in and a safer environment to work in as well nowadays. Um, so yes, it's definitely changed all of that and it's allowed people to aspire to so many divisions of catering, um, you know, whether it be um, schools or whether it be, you know, of um, independent sort of restaurants or working with big chains. I think every everything has got more value now and much more uh, better opportunities.
1: I agree. And unfortunately, though, the industry is having a really tough time. And we're very lucky here in Dubai that... There was that real boomerang effect after that short lockdown we had last year and, you know, a real appetite, pardon the pun, for getting back out into restaurants and enjoying each other's company, enjoying not cooking for ourselves. Mm. Whereas other parts of the world, and I'm thinking about the UK in particular, and, and certainly some restaurants have really been through the ringer and unfortunately won't be reopening as a result of the pandemic, as a result of people booking their Christmas dinners and simply not turning up and, you know, making it very hard to plan financially because of that. What do you think needs to change to be able to bounce back in countries that have been so badly affected by the pandemic and, and lack of customers?
2: Um, I think, again, it's it's it's, it's a hard one. Um, it's, it's a mixture of everything. I think the, the industry needs to sort of look at itself in terms of what it offers, um, in terms of, of, of the um, environment that mm-hmm. the staff are working within. Um, I think that the The pricing has to be looked at. Um, I think larger companies need to sort of look at the way that they've uh, sort of treated staff as well in some respects. But also as well, I think that the I think we need to have another impetus of of, of young people coming into the industry. I think that's what's missing in a great um, area as well. Is trying to get um, young people to get back in the industry and realise what a great industry and opportunity it provides.
1: You're absolutely right. And that's really echoing the thoughts of Prue Leith, who was on uh, Desert Island Discs just over Christmas. And she was saying, much the same, you know, it's an industry where people work incredibly hard. The hours are bruising uh quite literally often and the money isn't great either but in order to correct that it comes back to your pricing point if people are going to be paid what they're due and what they're trained to do as well it might mean that you know we might need to pay a bit more for our food um and that means and that goes all the way back it goes all the way from you know farmers being paid more um for what they're what they're growing as well i can see you nodding on microsoft teams <laughs>
2: yeah absolutely i can't agree with you any more than that i think as you say it goes right the way back to the very beginning and people have to you know understand you know like you say what they're actually paying for Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 like anything it's like buying a a smaller car and a larger car Mm -hmm. what you're paying for um but i do believe that um that it will turn itself around and but i do think that we need to highlight the rewards of the industry a lot more than just you know, the hard work ethic, yes, it's always there, but there's a lot more rewards that are out there as well.
1: That's an interesting point, because we think about it from the customer, the diner's point of view. You know, we're there to have food served to us, whether that, as you say, is that is a high-end restaurant, a budget restaurant. But what do you think chefs get out of it? You know, from your decades of being mentored, being a mentor, what are the big rewards for someone who is spending all that time in the kitchen?
2: Well, as I say, it, it allows um, you, you can walk, you, you know, you can visit any other country in the world and be able to confidently stand on your own two feet with the with the instructions, that you know, if, for instance, if you're taught to make a hollandaise sauce, you know that if you've been taught properly that you can gawk into any restaurant or any hotel in Singapore, in Japan, in America, you know, and know if somebody comes up to you as a head chef and says, make me hollandaise sauce, you can get there with confidence Mm -hmm. and make that hollandaise sauce. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important that you're able to take this set of tools, if you like, and go anywhere around the world. And Again, it offers an opportunity and the rewards that you get back for making people happy, again, I think is a great, great... Sort of come back and payment for for yourself in the hospitality industry because that's what you're there for. You're there to to help serve and make someone's evening or or, or day a special occasion, and that's really what we're in. We're in the theatre business, as Gary always used to tell me.
1: Yeah, theatre by roads. No, no, no better uh, better summary of it there. Would would delighted to be joined this afternoon by Chef Wayne Tapsfield, as I said, currently the chairman of judges for Dubai's first ever Chef Prossonia competition.
0: Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8.
1: We are talking food this hour with Chef Wayne Tapsfield. He has had a legendary career all over the world, really making his name when it comes to British cuisine, and is here now in Dubai as the chairman of judges for Dubai's first ever Chef Poissonnier competition. Um, So, party food, Chef, first of all, are you staying in or going out tomorrow, or are you working?
2: No, no, I'll be. I'm going to very luckily this year. I'm not working. I'll be spending some time with my family. So I've got two young children. So we shall gather around and watch the fireworks in Dubai. I think. Just here's to see
1: here's my question, though. Are you going to do let them stay up till midnight? Or are you going to do what I'm going to do and do a fake a fake countdown at eight o'clock and then send them off to bed? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, we used to. They're a little bit older now. We used to do that, but um, no, we'll we'll let them stay up now. They, they know how to read the time. They're not silly. Oh,
1: no, I'm taking advantage while I can. Um, and what about party food? Is, is anything on the menu? Anything that you you keep for special when there's a celebration?
2: No, I I like to do something big for the table and then everybody can just help themselves and dig in. And uh, I I much prefer sort of family style service than Mm -hmm. sort of plated. So, again, you know, I normally do something that uh, is normally baked or roasted and then some salads or some vegetables to accompany and just let them help themselves really and tear into it.
1: Well, we're saying on Instagram today, are you staying in or going out? You can go to our Instagram poll and have your say. But I say it's an overwhelming staying in. And I definitely am. We were thinking about going camping, but the weather's putting me off. So it's in for us. What about you? Let us know. Now, chef, I know travel's a bit tricky right now. So we're going to go to Fantasyland and we have every chef who comes on the show. Given the same dilemma. It's a bit dark if I say it's like a like a last meal on the planet. But so let's pretend okay. I'm sending you to a desert island and the food there is awful. It's not like, you know, you're not spearfishing, there's no coconuts, it's it's diabolical. But the night before you go, you get to have the meal of your dreams. Starter, main, and dessert. And it could be food you've only dreamt of, it could be something from your childhood, something you've had on menus or from a mentor, something you've created yourself. What would be on your menu, Chef Gary? Okay, I,
2: I've, I've, I've been very, very lucky to have gone to many, many places. So um, I'm going to choose some items from other people. I'm going to yeah. be selfish and let them cook for me. So my starter, <laughs> I think I would have I would go for Gary's smoked haddock Welsh rarebit. Oh, so it was the, one of the best dishes I ever tried when I first started with him. Um, and again, it goes back to what we're saying about no more than three or four perfect ingredients on one plate.
1: Now, for anyone who hasn't had it, and I have to say, I am lucky enough to have tried it um, at that fun just incredible. Um, what exactly entails? And do you think it's easy to make at home? Not maybe to, to Gary Rhodes level, but maybe a, a kind of an amateur riff.
2: Yeah, of course it is. It's, it's you know, it's a, it's a good old fashioned natural smoked haddock. That you just top with a Welsh rarebit cheese and it's just slowly baked in the oven until the fish is cooked. And it's just served on a nice simple tomato and shallot salad.
1: Yum. All right, on to main, sir. What are we having? Um,
2: well, I'm going to go to another mentor that I used to look up to when I was young, and that was Marco Pierre White. Mm. And again, I was very, very lucky to go to his restaurant when he was three star Michelin. And I had his stuffed pig strotter. that to this day is one of the finest main course meals I've ever, ever <laughs> been, had the pleasure <laughs> to eat.
1: And when you have a sweet tooth, what about dessert? Uh, dessert would be
2: from a French chef called Guy Savoie. Um, again, I had a, just a very simple apple tart fin, just a slice oh. of simple baked apple tart fan, which was sensational.
1: And we're all hungry if you haven't had your lunch I apologize tummies rumbling across the UAE. Um, So what does 2022 have in store for you Chef Wayne what are you looking forward to on the food front? Um, well,
2: I'm going to be opening my own uh, place now. I'm very lucky to have been in a position. we open my own business and it's going to be focusing on British food. Yes. I'm going to be focusing on, um, I'm opening a village pub and I'm going to be providing just simple, honest British food. Very oh. simply cooked.
1: And where's that going to be?
2: Um, it's in a place near Warrington in the north of England so okay. I'm going to uh, move the family here and we're going to be settled here
1: oh well huge congratulations to you lots to smile about and uh, keep us posted I hope the Poissonier competition uh, absolutely flies you uncover some amazing new talent and really celebrate all that is wonderful about Scottish seafood and the great British menu uh, Chef Wayne thank you so much for your time today really really appreciate it and I know we're 24 hours earlier but happy new year to you
2: And happy new year to everybody there as well.
1: Cheers, Wayne. Take care of yourself. All the best to you and the family. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Mm -hmm. I 103.8. We are talking about what is happening tomorrow night around the UAE, what you need to know as well in terms of road closures, public transport and more. So bringing in the wonderful Noni Adzwoods from the ARN News Centre. Noni, what are you doing tomorrow night? I'm actually going out. I'm one of the few. Where are you going? What are you doing?
0: We're going to a hotel establishment. We're going to have an outdoor table. We're going to be keeping our masks on and (laughs) celebrating safely.
1: Pat on the head for you. I am very much staying in tomorrow night. We were going to go camping. The weather has put me off actually it hasn't put me off it's put my husband off what?
0: Oh rain um, pitter pattering on the tent so that's that amazing
1: but no we're, we're having um, another family over and going to pretend to the kids that it's midnight at eight o'clock. We're and doing that. Happy doing that. days, and then yeah. But that's why I'm asking people for their favourite party food to give me some inspiration on what to feed oh, everybody. I can't sit through more of this party food inspiration. I'm, I'm getting hungry. Starving. <laughs> now there is a lot happening around the UAE, so we're going to try and get through as much as we can uh, between now and half past. But let's start with celebrating safely. We've just been hearing in the ARN news that um, record number of cases, the highest in nine months um, in terms of COVID here in the UAE, uh, 2,366. So of course, and let's not forget, the guidelines are still in place from almost two years ago now. Mm. What is being announced or perhaps just reconfirmed really for celebrating tomorrow night?
0: Dubai police have been very clear that the mask mandate is still in place, that it is a 3,000 Dirham Fine for not wearing them. And I think we all have anecdotal evidence of seeing people who are just oh, a little bit more yeah. lax about wearing them these days. Yeah. Better brush up on your skills with wearing a mask because
1: you don't want to be fined three thousand dirhams on, no, on New Year's Eve. You absolutely don't, and you know there are cameras absolutely everywhere, uh, huge numbers. So uh, just uh, assume nothing. I will.
0: I will tell you the number of cameras that are out oh, in in the next segment.
1: Oh, we'll get back to that. All right. <laughs> um, so social distancing, of course, um, wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we need to know in terms of that safety piece?
0: Yeah, look, they're the main ones to to focus on: wearing face masks and observing social distancing. I mean, the other ones as well: uh, washing your hands, um, you know, just avoiding contact
1: with people, doing your elbow bumps and
0: not your not your not not, not
1: your midnight snogs. There you go, people. <laughs> Don't don't let that be the way you start 2022. Uh, So let's look at Dubai because, as ever, we're going big. 36 firework displays in 29 locations.
0: Yeah, that's all been set up so that we can social distance. We're
1: not all congregated
0: in the one area of the Burj Khalifa. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's going to be very special as well, but they're going to be everywhere. So you can stay much more local and stay in smaller, more dispersed numbers.
1: Makes sense to me. Um, One of the reasons we moved to our house is I could realise if a crane in my neck around our front gate, I can see the Burj Khalifa. I was like, well, that's New Year sorted. I see the fireworks from but the your garden. But your chiropractor will enjoy that <laughs> yeah, too. Exactly. Wait for the insurance claim <laughs> to come in. Um, now, we're, of course, spending an awful lot of time at Expo 2020. And this is also going to be a real hub for celebration. What's happening at the Expo site?
0: Well, they're not spreading out geographically. They're spreading out over time zones. They're going to be celebrating for 13 hours. <laughs> Love it.
1: Lovely. How? Where?
0: Starting at 3pm on Friday tomorrow, which I suppose will be somewhere in the South Pacific. It's your lot, isn't it? Yeah, Sydney's, Sydney and Auckland are usually the first major capitals to celebrate. Um, and then the last celebration will be at 4am on Saturday.
1: Who's out till 4? I mean, who are you? How many coffees are you drinking to stay out till 4am? <laughs> I'm a four minutes past 12 and off to bed girl myself. So that's, that is that is. Epic.
0: Well, they've got uh, Dimitri Vegas at midnight and these are the their superstar DJs that they're hosting and Armin van Buren is at 3am. So if you're into Armin van Buren...
1: Dare say you'll be there till four. Yeah, it's, again, these are, these are not my people. I'm, I think I'm about <laughs> 10, been. ten to fifteen years too old for this. Um, and where is that going to be at Expo? Is It Wassel Dome.
0: Uh, that's going to be in the Jubilee uh, oh, stage, of course, the Jubilee stage. And what we've got at our Wassel Plaza is a ball drop at midnight. That'll oh, be sweet,
1: won't it? Uh, Lovely. Okay, now don't forget, we will be there, of course, uh, broadcasting all the way through until 2 a.m. Mark Lloyd's going to have a few coffees, I'm sure, tomorrow night. Keep him going and Just keep celebrating. him celebrating. We can go. There <laughs> no, he can. <laughs> um, and what about Global Village? Because they're doing fireworks all through the evening as well. So, Global Village, we've been giving away tickets this week. So, some very lucky Dubai our listeners going along. They're doing fireworks, as you're saying, across different time zones as well Ooh. Australia, India, Pakistan, Philippines. Um, so, and then, of course, you know, at midnight as well. Now, Burj Khalifa, always an absolute spectacular. Any clues about what we can expect? Look, they are not
0: giving much away. They are saying what we're expecting to hear, much-anticipated fireworks at the world's tallest tower, Mm -hmm. an electrifying laser act synced perfectly to the choreographed water show at the Dubai Fountain. Now, I think this is all a variation of the theme that
1: they do every year, but they do it amazingly well. Oh, it is stunning. I um, I actually showed the kids this morning an eight-minute YouTube clip of of last year, and it's absolutely stunning.
0: Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8.
1: really interesting to get a feel on what you are doing tomorrow night as well. There is a poll up on our Instagram stories. 91% of you staying in but for the 9% heading out, and that's still an awful lot of people, um, we are here to help Noni Edwards joining us from the ARN News Centre. We were just talking earlier about some of the guidelines in place. Noni, 3,000 dirham fine, of course, still in place and just because you don't think you're being watched doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that's the case. How many cameras are going to be uh, out and about?
0: Well, the RTA says there will be 10,000 oh. success Security cameras, monitoring hotspots. Now, that's not only to catch people out for flouting their social distancing and mask guidelines. It's also to keep us safe. Of course. To make sure that traffic, foot traffic, other traffic is moving freely uh, and just generally that... uh, there's not any trouble happening.
1: Let's talk traffic because this is always something people, either stop people going out, you know, think I can't face being stuck in the car and celebrating midnight on Shakespeare. Um, What um, are the key road closures and when are those going to be coming into effect?
0: Well, as you can imagine, The RTA, Dubai Police, Dubai Ambulance and Dubai Civil Defence are all very, very well organised. They're all coordinating on this. There's a huge plan in place. They've had lots of years' experience, so it's all well organised. So trust in that. They have, as well as those 10,000 security cameras they've got monitoring the place, they have dedicated walkways for people to get around to the fireworks in those uh, big central areas, Burj Khalifa and Financial Centre metro stations. So you're not going to have to dart across Mm -hmm. Shakeside Road. You know, there are are definite ways that you can go there. They will have 170 buses deployed to transport people around between the metro stations and parking locations once the celebrations are over. So don't think you're going to need to climb fences and things don't. That's all
1: organised. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> okay. And yeah. um, as you say, public transport um, extra as well. All of this, of course, on the Aero New Centre app too. We've just been talking about Dubai. There's things happening happening all over the UAE. And when we were broadcasting from the Swadi Pearl Farm in Ras Al Khamar, we were talking to the team there, and they told me over you know about almost two months ago. Now, going, oh, just wait till New Year's Eve. We're going after some records here. We're going big on drones and fireworks. What, what's happening in those other emirates?
0: This this is very, uh, very techie. Okay, let me get this out for you. Russell is preparing to, to go for two world records. The first is most remote-operated multi-rotors slash
1: drones <laughs> launching fireworks simultaneously. <laughs> I think my key, maybe that's going to be my, my plan for 2022, is to have a world record. I think the more niche you go, the higher the chances, <laughs> I would imagine.
0: Choose your own world record. Exactly. The, the, the second one, the highest altitude multi-rotor slash drone firework display. I'm desperate
1: to see this now. I think that's going to be brilliant. I'm sure it'll be
0: televised. Uh, right. Have but... a look at rackny.com. Um, on com. You get it. details of uh, Russell Hamer's. You can camp uh, on Almajan Island and Alhambra Village areas from 3pm today until January the 1st, Saturday. So...
1: And we've also got information across the board on the ARN News Centre website and on the app as well, looking at Abu Dhabi, Sharjah and other Northern Emirates too. So the big message here, um, and as I say, this certainly comes off the back of the news from the ARN News Centre this afternoon, we have seen a nine-month high in the terms of daily COVID cases and also um, more than 13,000 active cases as well. So please enjoy yourselves, but do so responsibly, your masks, your social distancing. Um, and let's just hope that this time next year we're not talking about this anymore. You know? Oh, it's a beautiful dream. Noni, thank you so, so much. Enjoy yourself and I'll I'll see you next year as the terrible joke always goes. <laughs> Noni Edge was joining us from the in News Centre. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai 103.8. We are getting you in the mood for the weekend, talking food and some exciting new openings happening in Dubai. I'm delighted to be speaking now to Mariam Mohammed Al Sabri. She is behind a brand new cafe. It's no ordinary cafe. It's called Together and it claims to be the first cafe for deaf people in Dubai. Mariam joining us on the line now. Mariam, how are you?
3: Good how are you
1: I'm really interested to find out more about your concept to be honest um thank oh, thank you for being with us um tell us about your your history um the how did this idea come about
3: Yes uh back in 2020 like the late of 2020 we were doing a very quick scanning by the end of covid 19 the first year, the first year of covid 19 and we found that there is Uh, No mall in Dubai, either it is a local mall or big mall or international mall that has hired uh, people from uh, the determination people at the operational line. We either see them at the back uh, or basically in the back office. So... um, Here we sit together and uh, we we heard about Sheikh Mohammed Barashid's statement when he said that my advice for investors, new entrepreneurs and youth who wish to have an experience in the market is when you come up with your business, just have a social responsibility in order to succeed and have this sustainable success in your business. And accordingly, we thought of having a an idea which is which is challenging um, to hire deaf people at our operational line in a cafe. And uh, accordingly, we might uh, have a one-on-one situation. Our customer will learn how to speak in sign language. And we also will have the uh, over value, like uh, the value added in our cafe by hiring people of determination and following the government uh, trends and the government strategy uh, objective.
1: It's a a wonderful Uh, idea. And I know it's been incredibly popular already with customers. Tell us about the recruitment process, Um, you know, recruiting people of determination and specifically, as you say, those who might be challenged with hearing.
3: Uh, Basically, uh, according to this, we aligned with some government entities because they might help us in uh, hiring such people. For example, we have some sub collaboration with the ministry of community development and the dubai community development authority so they provide us with translators and the list of people who are determined with deaf um, basically disability and actually uh, the translator was translating the things from signs to normal uh, language from normal language to signs in order like to find the the employee that fit our criteria as a cafe yeah, they were very supportive uh, entities and uh, providing us with uh, such deaf people.
1: Can you tell us a little bit then about how it's worked in other countries? This is the first of its kind in the UAE, but there has been precedent for a similar concept elsewhere in the world. What's it been like to, to see that elsewhere?
3: Uh, basically, uh, while we were doing the scanning worldwide, we found that there are some practices in India we've found that there are some practices in the United States especially from Starbucks and you know that Mm -hmm. Starbucks is one of the big brands that we have internationally and we would like like, to follow some uh, successful stories in hiring uh, disabled people to just show that they have high uh, capability to do their work and do their stuff uh, similarly like uh, normal people and they do have the big chance to have their economic um, uh, added valley like in different societies and here in Dubai you know that we we are like one of the biggest emirates like in terms of uh, having such cohesion social cohesion between different type of people in uh, one country.
1: So you're aiming to have about six percent of employees having some kind of hearing impairment, and I just wanted to kind of get back to food, if that's all right, because I think you know it's it's a wonderful um, movement, it's a wonderful idea and initiative. But people don't just come in to have that novelty factor, you know, and um, of uh, of that being the the concept, I suppose. People come in for a good coffee as well. Tell us what's on the menu.
3: Uh, basically, we do have the classic menu, which is the Americano. Uh, we do have the cappuccino latte. However, we also have the specialities coffees, uh, which are newly uh, introduced to the market, which is piccolo, uh, cortado, and uh, some uh, different like Spanish latte with different flavors. And also, we do have the mojitos. Our bestseller, for example, is the Celebrity Frap, uh, which is a mixture of chocolate, coffee, and milk, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to the ice. For example, we do have like a, a different type like of drinks, either it is cold or hot. And also we do have the food menu uh, where you can have like a very, very classic uh, breakfast, which is the croissant. At the morning, either it is plain cheese or uh, za'atar.
1: Can you explain a little bit about the communication? Um, how much is there the education um, element about customers ordering their drinks from people who do have a hearing issue? How, do, how does it work and are you able to educate people in how to sign when they're, when they're getting their coffee?
3: <laughs> yes, sure, because we do have our menu, it's digitalized in uh, iPads, so whoever like will visit the cafe, uh, we will give him an iPad. This iPad will include the word typing, uh, for example, the Americanos, the, the normal list, the menu, and at the side he will see the menu and the code, like how to start ordering using the sign. Either like he can try by himself like to use the sign and order by doing the sign language or by just um, pointing on the product that he wants to choose or order from our menu. But uh, promise me, when you visit, at least you will learn one lang- one sign at least.
1: I know it's going to be hard to do this over radio, Marim. Is there anything you could teach us now, whether it's a simple thank you or the word coffee in sign? Can you describe it?
3: Um, For example, if you, like, uh, show me, like, if you want to drink something by uh, just doing it with your hand, Uh, if you just move it like uh, a coffee, uh, it will be something like this. Uh, And hello, like when you say hello for anyone from, like, far away, it's the same sign language we are using for hello
1: here. I'm going to have a Google before I come in because I don't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> um, and, and, and lastly, what, what are the plans for the future? What are you hoping to do with Together um, come 2022?
3: Uh, okay, so basically uh, our plan is to have our bakery that is led by deaf people. This is first goal. The second goal is to spread out through the GCC country and Europe.
1: Well, huge congratulations on the launch of Together. I love the concept. I love the idea of, and even the, the idea behind the name as well. It's in Mayan Mall. Um, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And looking forward to, as you say, taking over the world come 2022. Happy New Year to you and yours, everyone, the team there. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. And getting you in the mood for the weekend, but also getting you in the right headspace for the year ahead. Speaking now to two young sisters who've struggled with mental health in their time and have now come together to open up a very special place here in Dubai to help those who are struggling too. We've got Svia and Sarah Faisal joining us on the show. Um, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. I'd love to kind of take it back a little bit. You've opened up Paws in El Wassel Road and it looks like the most gorgeous space, but there's a real meaning behind the opening of it as well. Um Sophia, can you tell me a little bit about yourselves? Both of you did struggle with some mental health issues growing up. Can you tell us more? Sure.
4: Hi, Helen. Hi. Uh, we're so happy to be here. <laughs> um, so for us, we're based, we're two sisters. We're Indian. We grew up here. Um, being healthy for us initially meant being just physically fit. Um, so we grew up playing tennis, being really active. And both of us, in the last few years went through our own mental health issues, so depression, anxiety. And we realized that health is so much more, right? It's not just physical, it's mental, it's food, it's sleep. um, And it kind of, it's everything. And we weren't taught these things growing up. Um, So me and Sarah basically, we were stuck in one house during COVID. And we're basically like, let's talk let's talk about these things what we're learning, um not in like in terms of what we're learning and how it's helping our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for the younger generations, um, it's not talked about enough, and sometimes it's hard to talk within your own circles. Um, so that's why we started our Instagram page and then decided to start a business which was pause, um, which is a space to come and explore all aspects of well-being. So food, uh movement studio, meditation room a treatment room um, and a lounge where we want to have a lot of talks and workshops just to learn about what it is to find your balance, because everyone has their own individual balance.
1: I think the timing of this is is so key, to be honest, because the last two years have been incredibly challenging. And even if you've you know you've been let off the hook a little bit in terms of health or, or mental health or finances, to be living in a pandemic you know, there's always going to be this low level thrum of stress that we're all experiencing, whether we're aware of it or not. There is that sense of uncertainty, of imbalance, you know, perhaps working harder than you've ever worked before and not being able to let off the steam. And when, when we've spoken to psychologists in the past, certainly over the last couple of weeks, and I've said, are you busy? They're like, we have never been so busy. We've got people in mental health crisis themselves. We've got marriages in crisis as a result of pressures for the last couple of years the pandemic being a catalyst for for many a divorce here in the UAE. So the timing is amazing. I love the fact you're also talking about that younger generation that, you know, that you are a part of and hopefully breaking a few taboos as well. And Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about why you feel like it's so important to get this conversation going? Because you are somewhat leading the way right now about just normalising these kind of chats.
5: Yeah. Um, I think the moment we realised how important it is, is when we started our Instagram page, the amount of responses we got saying, thank you for starting this, I had no space to express myself. And the amount of people that have felt better just by voicing what mm-hmm. they're feeling made us realize that not a sometimes people don't need therapy, but it's just a place to be heard mm-hmm. and to talk about what they're going through. So that's why for us, it's so important to build that community where people can express what they're going through and at the same time learn Um, how to take care of themselves without necessarily having to go to therapy or a doctor, because a lot of the times the younger people feel intimidated to go to these places. And for us, it's about creating that safe space.
1: And also a bit of prevention as well. You know, we don't want people to be, um, you know, getting too... You know, a really bad place before they reach out for help. Sometimes it's a case of, as you talk, you know, talking about there, making adjustments in diet, having better sleep hygiene. And we use this self care word all the time and probably too much. But for some people, self care is a pedicure. For some people, it's going to bed at eight o'clock. And for some, yeah. it's, it's a case of eating some healthy foods and, and really kind of valuing your health and, and making it a priority. Um, tell us about finding the space. I mean, because it sounds like you had such a, a wonderful kind of alchemy of, of ideas and concepts and, and learnings that you want to put in one place. But surely, I'm guessing, Sophia, trying to find the right location and environment and light and vibe must have been a bit of a challenge. What was that process like?
4: Yeah, I have to say it took us about five, six months to oh, find wow. the, right, the right vibe that we wanted. Um, we were looking for something really kind of homey, um, nothing too clinical, so the energy of the space really mattered to us. So we would just go into, I don't know how many areas we visited, but we went in, we saw this house. It's on al Road uh, in Jumeirah, and it's just filled with light. Um, the energy is amazing. Um, if you've seen our meditation room, it's the best place to kind of do a sound healing session. Um, so, yeah, the whole process took some time, but on honestly, we were going with our intuition and what we felt felt right um, because it was important to us. It's our first initiative. Um, so
1: it had to start on the right foot.
0: Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8.
1: And we're helping you get into the right headspace for 2022 as well. A new space called Pause has opened up on Al-Wassel Road. in Jumeirah. speaking to the two founders now, Sarah and Sophia, two sisters who have had their own mental health battles but have come through the other side and are now on a mission to help the rest of us in that space you can find everything from sound, gong meditation reiki, they're having regular talks, food is a really big part of it as well and they're here to answer your questions too so do get in touch, you can be completely anonymous if you prefer 4001, if you want to uh, share things that have worked for you in the past or just what you're going through, we'd love to hear from you Um, Mark's been in touch uh, Sophia saying, "Um, thank you for this, I suffer from anxiety and it's great to hear it talked about on the radio, are there any tips that the girls have found you useful to help every day to deal with it and of course there's no there's never going to be one size fits all and I think that's why pause is a really good example of it people can go along and see what sits try different um, techniques meet different people Um, but is there anything that has helped you um, over the years in a small or a significant way deal with that anxiety Sophia
4: Um, yeah so for me it's breathing Um, there's a breathing technique called the 7-11 breathing technique Um, So whenever I feel like I'm getting anxious, um, I just do that and it helps me just calm down. Um, The other thing I actually really noticed was whenever I start eating junk food or I'm not being too healthy with my food, uh, my anxiety starts to spike up within a week. Um, So I'm pretty conscious of, well, for the most part, try to be conscious of what I'm eating um, because that actually is related to
1: anxiety mm-hmm. hope that helps mark let us know what has been working for you as well and uh sarah you mentioned before you started off with an instagram account and were somewhat overwhelmed by the amount of messages you got but really people just wanting an outlet for what they've been going through why do you feel like so many people today are struggling with mental health issues do you think it's perhaps more than it's been you know in the past or are we just talking about it more
5: um I definitely think one, we're talking about it more. So a lot more people are voicing what they're feeling. But also, I feel like, um, at least from a younger generation's point of view, we're constantly seeing, like the perfect image on social media of everything, like people looking their best, Mm -hmm. always happy and And you kind of compare your life to that. And most of the time you end up being disappointed because that is not what reality is. (laughs) So I think (laughs) that's definitely one of the factors that contributes to it. But also our image of health and wellness is so distorted, right? Because we're always hearing of the newest diet and you should be doing this and that. But How do you know what actually works for you and when are you going to find something that does? I think that's when you turn to, you know, looking inwards and seeing what what does work for me and how do I um, keep that for a while? You know, it's, it's not about like changing constantly. It's about what works for me and how do I improve within that.
1: Mm-hmm. And how do you incorporate it so it's actually sustainable because sometimes it can feel like just another thing for the to-do list like I haven't meditated today, I'm a terrible no. person um, and we're going to talk next about some changes you can make for 2022 to go in with a fresh perspective. Um, we're going to find out what the sisters recommend everything from affirmations to trying new things and exactly what is on offer at pause. You're listening to Farmers Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. We are Helping you get into the right mindset for 2022, perhaps with a bit of a fresh perspective, and in conversation now with two sisters, Sophia and Sarah Faisal, who have recently opened up Pause. It's a very special place on Al Wasl Road in Jumeirah, where they are really bringing together some experts, some different experiences, some classes to help you find you. Um, Can you explain a little bit, Sarah, about some of the, uh, the courses that are on offer, the events, the workshops, the classes? What can people expect when they walk through the door at pause?
5: So, um, as we said, for us, our community and giving people the chance to learn what works for themselves is really important. Um, So we talk about a lot of things like body image, how to deal with anxiety, but also things like heartbreak, which not many people have a space to go to and talk to Mm -hmm. about. Um, So our workshops revolve around a lot of the daily issues that people face. Um, But also making it super casual and not as intimidating.
4: Um, So, yeah, Sophia, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. So apart from the community, we have treatments, lymphatic drainage, um, Reiki and a lot of movement classes. So basically everything that will help you kind of find your balance and well-being. um, That's what we offer.
1: I think that's interesting that the idea of it being movement? Um, because when we think about like health and wellness, it's like, you know, got to go to the gym and, you know, do a, a hit class five times a week to be healthy. And it doesn't have to be that. Sometimes it's just a stretch or a flow or just kind of listening to your body. What's, what's been popular on the movement front, Sophia?
4: So we have the somatic uh, movement class, which is essentially a very slow form of yoga. Um, there's an amazing instructor called Ipek and she Basically, you're you're not really moving too much, but you're just stretching your body and feeling every muscle of your body as you're going into poses. Um, So it's sort of meditation and movement. But yeah, so it's a very unique class. Uh, We have another one called Posture Up, which is pretty um, popular as well, which is helping you kind of. Everyone kind of has bad, bad posture these days. So, this is Pilates <laughs> to just help with posture.
1: <laughs> and tell us about the meditation room because I think a lot of people go, Yes, I should meditate. I've got the apps, I've got everything at my fingertips to actually do this, but don't actually do it. And then I, I, I say this from experience. I'm like, Right. Every morning, I'm going to do 10 minutes. I'm going to own my morning and never actually come around to it. The only time I've ever kind of. I do even say successfully meditate it's not about being successful but being able to get into that kind of state of flow is in a class environment where my phone is in a different room i've i've kind of made that intention to book that time out to pay a price for a class and then that all seems to fall in place what kind of meditations are you offering and uh, and what's the reception been like
4: So that's why we love our space so much, because even our meditation. So we have sound healing, which is basically with your Tibetan bowls um, generating sound and the vibrations of the sound is kind of hitting your ears, hitting your body and helping you relax. Um, That's really popular. And we have breath work. Um, We all breathe, but we all don't know how to breathe properly. Mm -hmm. Um, And breath work, everyone has a different experience. Um, I've cried in a session. Sarah has danced in a session. Um, So... It's a very interesting thing to try out. But the nice part about our space is you're not just coming for the class. You can come have a coffee with your friends afterwards downstairs um, and have a croissant. So it's it's a very casual space. You're, you don't feel like you're coming... To do something very different from what
1: you would normally do I think that's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see how kind of breath work develops over the next few years because yeah. um, even I, I did a lot of breath work before I went to Kilimanjaro just in terms of conscious breathing making sure there's enough, enough oxygenation and so many people I spoke to were like listen breath work is going to be talked about in the same way we talk about hydration you know in, in 10 years time that you know we talk about make sure you've had you know your eight glasses of water or your three liters every day in the future we're gonna be that aware of how important breath is to the body so great that you guys are taking the initiative and sorry i wanted to talk about i don't want to say new year's resolutions but maybe intentions shall we say when it comes to 2022 are there anything that that you're going to be doing differently next year or things that you'd love to see the dubai community embracing for a a happier and and mentally healthy society
5: so i feel like Every New Year's, we all set these big goals for the next year and kind of like, you know, say I'm going to do this and that. But sometimes it's better to focus on small goals and accomplishing those Mm -hmm. rather than like setting unrealistic goals. So I feel like for me, at least I am focusing on achieving those small goals, um, but also doing it out of a place of gratitude and kind of knowing my purpose. Um so, yeah, that's for me, Sophia.
4: Yeah, I, I kind of did the opposite, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is the beauty of it. Um, but I basically imagined what I would be, how I would be like a year from now. And we tried to feel it and visualize it. And I prioritized what I want to work on based on that. Um, but again, with the intention of knowing why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, taking it slow, honestly, do it at your own pace. So
1: yeah. I want to go to the text line now 4001. Um, Gemma's saying, um, These girls sound amazing. Um, totally agree. Feel social media has played a big part in not feeling enough or not perfect. Would they recommend a phone detox? dum, 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 this is my nightmare. Uh, have either of you tried this?
5: Yeah, I I do a social media detox every now and then. And I find that it works so well for me. Um, so I basically deactivate my account for around a week, and then I go back. But I just having that break allows me to refresh and feel so much better. So yeah, definitely.
1: I think initially I'd, I'd have And I know how this sounds. I'm I'm fully self-aware enough that I'd have this mega anxiety and FOMO probably for the first 24 hours, and then come back a week later and realise that I'd missed absolutely nothing. (laughs) Really, it's like a lot less going on. And Mara's saying, I grew up in a time where there was no social media. I don't remember anyone having depression or mental issues. We focus on family and community. And today, there I feel like there are too many distractions for kids. They are looking outwards at others rather than inwards. Um, And you know asking about um depression um saying she's reluctant to, to take medication but would so under doctor's instruction but are there any lifestyle changes um that were useful to you guys in uh, in kind of changing mood sofia anything that um, was particularly effective for you any um any lifestyle changes from food to sleep to uh, to all kind of alternative treatments
4: yeah um so for me it was completely a lifestyle change so the first one was food and the second one was really being consistent with working out. Um, that's my one thing that sort of gets my endorphins high, like it sets my mood. And honestly, my confidence comes from knowing that I can work out. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was, yeah, movement and food. Sorry. Uh, just to add to that, I feel like another
5: big aspect in my wellness journey was spirituality and sort of. I I always tell people this, but reading The Power of Now helped me in so many ways. And that just allowed me to connect with myself and my surroundings. Because a lot of the times when you're going through depression or something um, with your mental health, you feel very disconnected. Mm -hmm. And I feel like getting in touch with that and knowing that we're all one at the end of the day, it makes a massive difference.
1: A great question that I'd like to end on. This is from Zidane saying, love the sound of this, but don't know where to start. Wouldn't know what to book. And I think that's actually really key. That unless you choose to research a lot of things, listen to certain podcasts, read books, as you're saying there, Sarah, um, even the kind of the world of alternative treatments, which is a very welcoming space, is a bit of an unknown. Is Do you think there could be a role for like a... I don't want to say how to say it, like a holistic concierge, someone you could speak to and say, why don't you try this? Or um, does that make sense? Is there, are you guys able to yeah. offer guidance on that front?
4: It's funny you say that because we do have that at oh. cause. Um So we have a holistic uh, nutritionist, um, but also a guide to help look at you holistically and kind of recommend what you should do or what changes you should try first. Because yeah, it is a lot. Uh, it can be overwhelming.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you so, so much for your time this afternoon. And we've had another message going um, where to find you. And I, I, I've been saying pause all the way through, but I haven't told you how to spell it. Um, it's P-A-U-S and it's uh, pause D X B on Instagram. Is that the best place to go, do you think, for the for up-to-date information?
4: Yeah, all of our information is on
1: Instagram and our website for bookings. I love it. In the bio, it says, just a nice place. And I think that's all (laughs) we can hope for, especially in these crazy, crazy times. Huge congratulations to you both for really overcoming um, your own struggles, turning into something positive and, and reaching out to the community to offer something really special indeed. Wishing you a wonderful 2022. Space sounds amazing and much needed for the community and the city as well. Sophia sir, Faisal, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon.
0: Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I
1: 103.8. And don't forget, you can hear us live on Dubai I 103.8 weekdays between 2 and 5.